Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. It's that time to listen to the things we say again. Because we're saying things, so you should clearly be listening. And you fired us up, <laughs> intending to listen to us, so here we are. <laughs> Wherever you're at in your week, we're right there. Yes, we are. Right in your ear, or in your car, or wherever else you may listen to us. I don't want to know. No, no, I don't always want to know. No. I don't like to picture where you guys are. I no. just picture where I'm at. I know where I listen to <laughs> podcasts, and I don't want to know where people listen to podcasts. I wonder how much of a percentage of someone's day-to-day phone use, what the percentage of toilet use is. It's I got bet, to be high. I bet there's an app for that. I'm, I'm sure there is. I know that you know iPhones in general have started doing a lot more uh, analytics, like giving you week-to-week how, how much screen time you're spending. And the, the psychology of it actually works really well because I've been decreasing every week since, I, since I've been getting a report by massive percentage points, the amount of screen time I'm spending. Cool. Um, so that's something. It's uh, effective. But it tracks everything, like how many times you lift up your phone on average, how many hours you spend on each app that you use. Like it's, it's pretty intense and a little sad. <laughs> but yeah, I was down 58% this week from last week. So wow. Yeah. Very and good. not even trying to, just, yeah. But that's everything, calls and podcasts and all the things that you do or listen to. So, Yeah. So, uh, my did you know this week, it comes from the realm of football. Of course. And this is something that they do not show, like the anthem, where they tend okay. to show that on TV. Right. And now, not so much, since there was a bit of a controversy. Right, right. Um, but did you know that before the game and after, players gather for prayer? At the beginning, it's generally uh, players kneeling by themselves in each end zone uh, where their teams are about to warm up. Um, each one will, as, as they feel led, will take a knee. Some, not all of them. Yeah. But um, they will take a knee and just kneel there for a while. I've got a picture of this even from preseason game that I attended and, and uh, a couple other games I've been to as well during the regular season it happens. And then um, after the game, Every game that I've attended, pro games, college games, they will gather on the 50-yard line for prayer. And usually this is happening while somebody's being interviewed in a close-up shot. Yeah, on, so that you're on not the catching. Or, or off somewhere, they'll have the quarterback or something, and they'll be all up in his face, and you don't see a whole lot other than the interviewer and him. Yeah. And then that whoever's being interviewed will often run over and join the little prayer circle going on. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just a cool moment for people that are in the stands that go to the games. Uh, but it's not something that the NFL broadcasts at all. They almost go out of their way. To avoid it. To avoid it. Of course. And, and, and yet it's a huge part for all the players and the people involved and all of that. Even after very hard-fought games, yeah. that moment still exists. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's just something, did you know? I mean, yeah. not a lot of people that watch the NFL would have that picture of how of prayer being a before and after experience during the game. Yeah. And yeah. Well, and that's one of the is. that's one of the interesting things to me about the NFL is because even though you know, we've talked about it before how the NFL is an interesting blend of two very different cultures in terms yeah. of your very, you know, good old boy country you know, kids and your, your more urban, you know, inner city, you know, vibe. But the interesting thing about it is both of the, those cultures tend to be very religious. Yeah. And so there is, there's a, there's an interesting uh, intersection of those two things, even though the two worldviews almost couldn't be any more different. And each team generally has a chaplain. Yeah. And most college teams do as well. Yeah. 
Uh, they have a chaplain that will meet with the players if they so desire. And, yeah. And lead Bible studies and all kinds yeah. of things. It is funny to me because, you know, you especially, and I'm sorry, I mean, even if you're, if you're more one who takes in Fox News versus CNN or MSNBC or any of those, you, you get the idea from, of course, the varying standpoints that, that generally culture is very combative towards Christianity. And it's just not true. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just not. American culture overall is, is actually very, still very accepting of it. There is, there is not a unanimous war on Christianity in culture in the United States. There is a decidedly uh, combative element to it in media and in entertainment. But as far as universally in the United States, it's just really non-existent. But yeah. of course you would from from seeing from consuming media you would think that that would not be the case uh from both sides. Yeah. Cuz you've always got the one side talking about how they're being religiously persecuted and you've got the other side talking about how stupid Christians are and you know never the twain shall meet. I mean, it's just kind of a continuing uh mess of of that just to keep people riled up. But anyway, that's a whole nother side. Yeah. Of so that was just my, did you know for today? Did you know that a lot of football players are very religious and open about that? Yeah. And open enough to make it a part of their game day routine right. and all of that. Fellowship of Christian Athletes has done an amazing job yeah. from the high school level all the way up through college pro ranks. It's yeah. just been, it, it's been incredible that the, the work that they do. So. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want that to go unnoticed. Just wanted to give a quick plug and oh, that's good. shout out to my brothers who are, who are taking still in the middle of all the other public stuff that you could be doing regarding the anthem, regarding yeah. other stuff, uh, the things they say before and after the game. This is a very public thing that they yeah. quietly do all the time and totally yeah. goes unnoticed. Absolutely. So, totally random offshoot since we're on football. All right, real let's quick. go. Um, and I don't remember if I've ever talked about this on a podcast, but I'd, I'm curious if you agree with me. I believe that the NFL will be the first national uh, sports league to introduce a woman as a player. Before I believe, basketball I believe and before, before basketball and before baseball, I feel it is more likely, and I guess you could throw hockey in there too, I believe it is more likely that you will have a woman play football, play professional football, than maybe ever in any of those other two sports. I definitely don't think let me let me but let women me women can quite cut it in basketball. Like it Right. I, there's, there's no way. So there's no way. The physicality of it, there's just no way. The only the only the only well and first of all, let me be clear, what I see is is the likelihood of having a kicker that's a woman. Yeah. That's where I see the likelihood happening. I don't think there will ever be a woman quarterback unless there is an extreme genetic exception to the rule um, in terms of arm strength and ability to take a hit. Do any of the other sports have women referees? Cause the NFL has women referees and the NBA does. They, they okay. have, they have one or two. I think there are some, some female umpires, but they're not like they're not, I've never seen one behind the plate, Gotcha. but they they'll be out, you know, first, second or third base, you know, umping. Um, but yeah, I've never seen, I've never seen hmm. that to my knowledge. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that football will be the first one to have that, um, simply because of the uniqueness of having a kicker and all of the rules that protect a kicker, um, would, would, would align themselves well with the possible. I mean, most kickers, you look at me like you shouldn't be playing football. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty. Well, they, Sebastian Janikowski lumbers up and down the field. I'm sure he <laughs> could take a hit. But right. the rest of them, right. Martin Gramatica, you feel like you could have knocked him over. Right. Like, right. I could have tackled him. Yeah. No problem. But, yeah, unless there are significant rule changes, I don't ever see there be being a woman having being able to play and have any recognition in the NBA. Um, and the only way I see it happening in baseball is if you have a pitcher who has a, an incredible amount of ball movement. Yeah. That that is 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 worthy of being at that professional level. Again, likely. I just consider that that football is probably going to be the first one. So for whatever that is, I'm staking well, that claim. And back, baseball is changing a a little slower than football has because back when I was in high school, there was a girl that played uh, little league with us that had a lot of movement on her pitches. Yeah, it was a very good overhand thrower, and 
when she got to the high school level and wanted to play high school ball, they told her that she has to play softball because it is an equivalent. Yeah. It's not. So like wrestling, you have to let girls wrestle because there's not a girls right. wrestling league that they right. can be a, a part of. And baseball, they got away with telling her she has to play right. softball. Because Which I have a problem with because especially totally as a pitcher, sport. the mechanics of, yep. of throwing in softball are totally different. Her than, whole thing was, okay, have me out to baseball pra- practice yeah, and see if the guys can hit yeah. my throws. And I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I don't, I don't think there should be necessarily male exclusivity in any of these sports. If, if there is a woman who yep. can achieve the same things and not have to have standards lowered in order for her to play... By all means, yep. have her play. I'm great with that, but don't don't go don't go saying, well, we'll we'll lower these expectations in order to make it happen because you're corrupting the the standards of the game overall. And I, I don't care for that. Yeah, you're changing the game at that point. If yes, I mean, I am totally convinced, and you can see this by the types of people that play football. If you are good anywhere in the world yeah. at playing football, no matter who you are, if you're good at any aspect of that and in the top 1% of people in the world that can do this at a high level, somebody's going to be knocking on your door That's asking right. you to do it. Right. Not like, to mention the... It, it doesn't matter if you're incredibly stupid. Right. It doesn't matter if you're a criminal. It doesn't matter if you have a few screws loose and yeah. you can't compose a normal sentence, whatever. Yep. None of that matters. Can you do? Can you catch the ball? Can you run faster than anybody? You got to do something right. exceptionally well. Right. That's the truth. Anyway, obviously tonight's not going to be about sports, but I just wanted to. I wanted to throw yeah. that out there. Uh, tonight we wanted. We we have talked about conspiracy theories on this podcast before, and it's been fairly popular. We talked yeah. about uh, some of our favorite conspiracy theories, and I think we'd like to do that again. Yeah. At some point. Um, but one of the things we felt. Like we wanted to do, so we don't get lumped in with all of the other conspiracy theorists, is talk about some conspiracy theories that we do not like, uh, that that we we would find either repulsive or not plausible. Yeah, uh, I think we've laughed about flat Earth, and that's about as far as we're yeah, going to take that. I, I don't even want to. <laughs> I don't want to give it more time it, yeah. than it needs. But yeah. I, I I like. Flat Earth for comedic value. I despise debating it. Yeah, I'm, well, I enjoy poking the people who are who are very uh, serious about it, to to an extent. There's a level of seriousness that I won't touch. Yeah, um, because I feel like it, to some degree you're going to be, no matter how ridiculous it is, you're going to be insulting someone's like core values at that point. And even if I find them stupid, I'm not going to intentionally go after that. Because there's just I no point. It, there's I think no... it takes real science and makes... When you take real science and you put it up against flat earth, it devalues the real science. Yes, like, that's, that's a real good... Real science has made so many leaps and bounds and gains. And to take it from where it is and move it down to the level of internet memes yes. is a little too yeah. low. Like yeah. you're giving too much credit to it and then all you've done is fan the flames. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Tonight, I wanted to talk about the one that probably bothers me most, and that's 9-11 conspiracy theories. Yeah. Uh, there, I haven't found one that's very compelling. Right. Um, there are some that sound that like they could be plausible, but I find most of them insulting. Yeah. And I don't know. I kind of get offended by the whole debate after a while. Like I understand people wanting to get to the truth of what happened right. and trying to find a motive if it's there. What I don't like is somehow taking the deaths of thousands of people on U.S. soil and making it a matter of, I don't know, controversy for controversy's sake. Or right. It it was the one thing in my lifetime that united all of us right, immediately, and it it acted it it did something to the American psyche and changed us permanently as to who we are and what right. what we're about, and it defined so many things that we cannot put down in any other way. It defined our our love of liberty. It defined our love of 
what it meant to be American. It defined our love of homeland and, and right. gave us, it showed what Americans would do if we were attacked and if we were provoked right. on our own soil, right. what, what we would become. Right. And it was a united front of love for one another and extreme uh, focus on who did this to yeah. us. Yeah. And it, yeah, I feel like our upper echelons distracted it a bit, but there was no distraction right. among the people right. of America on right. what happened. Right, without a so, doubt. Without a doubt. Anyway, uh, I spent the afternoon re-watching some of 9-11. Uh, there, was some, there was a couple news crews put their footage together of all kinds of different vantage points of yeah. it and, and the timestamps along the way, and they kind of gave the highlights as you were going. And one of the things that I think stood out to me the most, watch a short segment on the falling man photograph, the photograph of the guy that mm. jumped, and he's like pointed head, like an arrow at the like ground. Head down. And his feet are kind of looks like he's running, but yeah. he's upside down. And it's and somebody mentioned that it's the one picture where you actually see someone die mm. on 9-11. Yeah. And that stuck out to me because there were people that burned to death on national TV and no one saw it. Yeah. And there were people that jumped to a gruesome death and no one saw it because they would not put the cameras on it. Right. And there were 3,000 people that basically died in silence. Yeah. And you don't feel the weight of that until you're going back through and watching it, knowing knowing what we know now that both towers come down, watching people evacuate that building, mm-hmm. watching other people run into the building, watching them carrying out wounded people yeah. and getting them out and working with them on a sidewalk that we're all like, get out of there. That yeah. building is not safe. And, and then seeing video from... Uh, seven world trade center in in the parking garage and there's there's smoke and stuff even that that was down at that level already right and, and you're like and you can hear the concrete popping and yeah, like snapping and, and you're down you're down in there and they're like do we need to evacuate like we need to get out of here and i'm like my goodness like you just start thinking back and the number of these people that you are seeing like this was the last time anyone saw them yeah and but when they died, it wasn't like we got to see them die publicly. It right. was very. Yeah. I would I would make the argument that that the deaths that happened on nine eleven were overshadowed by the buildings collapsing, mm-hmm. because you you see that and you think, my goodness, this building has collapsed, and you and you think of it in terms of you separate from the people, yeah. and you just see it as this thing has happened. And you're overwhelmed by, well, I didn't expect that or I didn't expect it to happen like that. Like there were so many things that hit your brain when you saw it mm-hmm. that you removed yourself from that reality. But I remember uh, one of the things that had the biggest impact on me, again, I remember so distinctly seeing that photo. And there were several others of, of people who had jumped that they had in a series. But one of the things I so distinctly remember was people above where the where the planes had struck, who were like hanging out of windows, and waving, and, yeah, and billowing smoke and, and towels and shirts and different things. And there were helicopters that were, you know, mm-hmm. circling around. But the the heat and the updrafts from all of it, like they couldn't get close to actually help the people. And that reality of like they were there until they collapsed. Like they were there when they collapsed. Like nothing that. Yeah, nobody from those top floors is getting out. Yeah, it's just not. Yeah, and uh, and and when those those pictures and those videos started coming out after the fact that was where it was that that first really sobering realization that that the the 3000 number became people and became individuals to my mind and it totally yeah. changed not the way i viewed it but the way i related to it yeah um, you know in the, in the months following that i yeah one of the things that kind of brought it to mind i was watching uh, the SNL clip from last night, they, they had made fun of a Republican congressman for having an eye patch. Yeah. And he had lost his eye in, in battle Yeah, uh, from an IED. And so then they got backlash from that. And so they invited him on the show. And he was talking about what it meant, what Veterans Day meant. Yeah. And how it unites everyone. And he says, instead of 
just thanking veterans, why don't you also tell them never forget? Like we will, we won't forget your service. We're not going to forget those that went ahead of you, but the never forget phrase is something that was around a lot after yeah. 9-11. Oh, yeah. And then uh, the congressman turned to the SNL anchor and said, and we won't forget the ones who died on September 11th, like your father. Yeah. And it was like this very touching moment. And, and I, was, I was like, that's really cool. We are 2001, 17 years removed from that. And, yeah. And it, the event is as old as I was when it happened now. Wow. So that's a that's a weird thing when I realized that this past year wow. that it turned a nine eleven turned the age I was when it happened. Wow. Yeah. That is weird to think it was about. It's very weird. Hmm. Anyway, sorry, that was yeah, weird. But no, yeah. I, I did I felt it again where it was like I think there's a way that we have sterilized this to two buildings coming down. Yeah. And when you're watching it again, you see the people, you see their faces, you see uh just the humanity of the people involved. And, and I would like people to think about even what you think about suicide. Yeah. Take it to the world trade center and does it hold up? Yeah. I mean, you got a guy that's practically burning to death. He's got to the window and he's hanging out of the window because that's where he can breathe. And at what point do you jump? Yeah. And at what is suicide and what is not? Yeah. And like, yeah, if, it, if it you've got a, all kinds if of you've new... got some sort of uh, theological view on on suicide that's very concrete and only allows for certain things, whew. yeah, yeah, it gets dicey. <laughs> that would get real dicey. It gets dicey. I've real always quick. I've always kind of let that one up to God and yeah. been like, I'm glad I'm not the judge and I don't have to sort that all out. Yeah, but. It's one where I do feel like the Lord is going to have a lot more mercy and there's a lot more things going on there than what right. a lot of people give right. credit for. Right. That just chalk it up to no, I agree. sin and damnation and off you go. Right. <laughs> but anyway, I, there was that was just some of the emotions I was going through as I was preparing to talk about this. Yeah. And that's kind of why I don't like people interacting with 9-11 on the level of conspiracy. Yeah. Just because we didn't think of hijacking an airplane in flight right and then flying it into something doesn't mean that it was a massive conspiracy right to detonate the buildings yeah and and i think that i think that what really happens with 9-11 is that there's there's the cognitive dissonance of how do so few people cause so much damage that's and you yeah, have the same thing, thing you have the same thing with the kennedy assassination nobody wants to believe that one random man with a rifle can do what he did to the president of the United States. Nobody. So that's where the conspiracy theory grows out of. It has to be more than that. It has to be greater than that. There has to be more meaning behind that. There has to be multiple shooters. Like you have to expand that because our brains just can't reason with this man just randomly shot the president, even yeah. though that's what almost every assassination in our country's history of a president has been. It's been a random lunatic or a man with a vendetta who has just randomly assassinated a president and uh but because that happened in the modern era we were so exposed to it and we saw so much of it that it changed it changed the way we thought about that particular incident uh and and we've run with different things and the same thing with 9-11 like you look at it and you're like okay no it can't be as simple as all this you can't reduce it to this there's got to be something more because it gives it it gives it meaning it gives people's death meaning as opposed to the reality of just meaningless that it was and wastefulness that it was yeah there there's been a couple theories surrounding the the building collapse and i would like to go back to what you said earlier about how people people get fixated on the buildings and forget the humanity and and the human lives that were lost mm -hmm. and all that because once you get distracted that's that's where the conspiracy theories start is they get fixated only on the buildings right and they're not looking at the larger picture. If if there was a conspiracy, there would have been movements to protect certain people within the NYPD or certain people within uh, New York Fire Department. I'm sure that there were people in Washington who had friends and relatives that went in. And one of the things that struck me is over the radio, they were listing off 
the brigade, the brigades and different people that yeah. were going into the fire. And they're like, brigade nine, brigade 10, ladder, ladder 11, ladder. And they're like listing, they're going down through on the radio of who is responding and who's going in. And there, there's entire, there's entire departments yeah. that were wiped out because they went and they, they went into this place and you can't, I, I just have a hard time believing that a few people high up in the U.S. government somewhere were well-placed enough to pull this off or allow it to happen without trying to save one or two people they cared about Yeah, just to start a war. Like, we have started wars on way flimsier right. things. Right, Okay? Right. Clinton had no problem finding a war the minute they found a blue dress. That was not <laughs> a problem. They just went to Bosnia. They started bombing the crap out of the place. And that one, I remember sitting beside a guy in my school that was from Bosnia and, and just, you know, he's all messed up because now there's war in his homeland and he has no good reason behind it and yeah. he can't cope with it. And I'm like, this is not okay right. to just go to war over something like this or, or the, the way we went to war in Libya. You can't tell me we couldn't have started the Iraq war or right. the war in Afghanistan if we really wanted a war. Yeah. You didn't have to kill 3,000 people on right. U.S. soil. Right. In a controlled detonation of right. a building live with people in it. Right. Like, I don't see what someone gains from the conspiracy on right. its face. Right. So I get, I get angry about it before we even go into right. it. Right, right, of course, of course. But the, the, the contentions are that there was a controlled detonation and they say that seven World Trade Center is like the smoking gun because yeah. the two went down and you could try and say those were planes, but then why did World Trade Center 7 collapse? Right. And um, one of the things that looking back through the live footage that you don't always see in the conspiracy theory videos is the black billowing smoke yeah. coming out of these buildings before they end up collapsing. You see the the gray smoke that's coming out at the beginning and the fires start and there's papers flying and there's glass right. everywhere. And there's different like puffs of, of smoke and stuff that come out as different things start on fire. But after it's been burning for like an hour, that smoke has changed from gray to dark gray, and, and now it's coming out of different parts of the building to at the end before it collapsed, you have black smoke coming out all the way yeah. around the building. There's flames shooting out of several floors, shooting out the windows. Right. And, and I'm like, first of all, no one on any of those floors is alive. Yeah. It's an inferno. And no one probably on a couple of floors above because if it's shooting out the windows, if it's made it all the way across right. the building and out the other side, it's also gone up from what you know of fires. Right. And, and uh, the speed at which the planes hit was something that people are not factoring in yeah. either. I mean, you've got several hundred miles an hour that they're going, and they're full of fuel. And, and the, the problem is not just burning jet fuel. The problem is what the jet fuel acted as a catalyst to do. It, it started the fire, and it fueled the fire long enough to get right. it going, to get a raging fire going and start a compound reaction across right. more than one floor. Well, and, and again, you have to look nothing more than to the, the current you know, fires that are still ravaging California. Yeah. Those are fueled by wood. I mean, wood and brush, that's what's yeah. fueling us. And yet, look how destructive they're being. And look at the fact that they're melting things that shouldn't, quote, shouldn't be melting and all this stuff. I mean, weird things happen with fire, for sure. But yeah, that's one of the things that always frustrates me about 9-11 conspiracy theories is that they take, they take isol especially especially where it's concerned. I have less of a problem with people saying... Okay, it was it was a it was a false flag operation by our own government. It was a it was it was a, a you know allowed to happen by our government. I can see you getting there more easily, and with some some degree of logic still. What I have a great problem with is is people saying the things like, "Well, it was a controlled demolition." 
yeah. because this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen, and this doesn't happen. And I'm like, okay, you can't just take these isolated incidents, the, the jet fuel being the perfect one. That's the one you always hear. You know, the jet, jet, fuel, jet fuel doesn't, doesn't burn steel. hot enough to melt steel. Yeah. Well, again, you're right. If you're trying to use jet fuel in a torch or if you're just putting jet fuel on some steel and lighten it up, you're right. It's not going to melt steel, but you're you're not taking into account that that was simply the catalyst that started it. Let alone the the planes, like you said, flying into it and the and the speed that they were traveling. And I'm actually trying to look it up here to find, uh, so find the speeds they were going at while, when they while hit. While you're looking that up, uh, the Department of Civil Environmental Engineering at Northwestern University put together a, a study, um, and this was in 2008. They or 2007, they released their study um, about what did and did not cause the collapse of the World Trade Center Twin Towers. And in here, they're talking about, um, it says here that whereas more than 150 tons of TNT per tower would have to be installed into many small holes drilled into concrete to produce the same pulverization. They're looking at the pulverization of the dust particles of the concrete and different things like that. And they're saying to achieve the same thing, you would have to put at least 150 tons of TNT in each tower. Yeah. And so we're saying that in a controlled demolition, you would you would have somehow managed to get 150 tons of TNT into a building whose construction, whose maintenance and everything is unionized. Yeah. Using union workers or you are sneaking them past union workers, you're using right. some sort of clandestine operation to bring in 150 tons. Trust me. Somebody knows everything that comes into a building like that because Okay, try. I work at different trade shows where they, they where they have uh, like the big old arena has a unionized workforce for setting up the trade shows, and we're a small company and we want to bring in our own stuff and set it up. They watch everything that comes in the doors and they know every bit of work that is done because if anybody's doing work that they should not be doing, you're taking their jobs. Yeah. So part of part of the union is not just getting the work done. They know who's doing they what. They know who is doing what work right. in the building and, and what is being hauled in and what is being hauled out because not not just because they care what comes in and out. Right. They care about what work is being done and, and by who's, who. who's doing it. Yeah. You don't just get to get the snow contract for cleaning the snow around the World Trade Center, which around World Trade Center 1, the snow contract around there is in the millions just to clean <laughs> right. the snow away. And right. they know who... That's why they know there's someone well, that knows and, what's and going and on. And there's a lack of understanding of the complexity of actually creating a controlled demolition. Yes. People see... People look at a video weeks. of a controlled demolition and they see a building that looks like it's a normal building and, you know... They're just blowing it up and knocking it down. What they don't see is the weeks of prep, the weeks of actually weakening the structure so that yep. when you blow it up, when you use the explosives, it will collapse so that you can blow it up efficiently so you don't have to use as much. Like There is so much that goes into it. And I remember the first time I ever saw uh, the internals of a, of a controlled demolition and when they showed how gutted and how they had strategically you know, jengaed out the building Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, to allow it to collapse once the explosives were set off. It's it's not as simple as just, oh, we just place a bomb right here. Like, you were drilling into the thing and, and putting it into a certain pocket and making... Like, it's it's way more complex than people have any understanding of, for the most part. And most demolitions, when you look at them from the outside, it just looks like a whole building accordion falls down, yeah. you know, like an accordion. The reason for that is because most large demolitions like that go bottom up and they're blown in a sequence to weaken the structure from the bottom up, but quickly so that when one floor falls into another, it doesn't pancake out like what you're seeing in the world trade center building where you're seeing the air. There's so much air in each floor that becomes compressed air. When one floor falls into the next it compresses all that air and it's got to go somewhere. So it blows out the side. Yeah. You don't really want a lot of that so that you have, you have to plan for where all the air is going to go in the structure if you were going to blow it so that you don't get 
what happened in the World Trade Center with the huge cloud of smoke that's rolling out everywhere. You have to control for where all that is going to go. And they didn't. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's not, it, it didn't happen because that's not the kind of demolition that was done. Right. And not to mention the, the damage that happened to the surrounding buildings and the, because again, controlled demolitions do. They happen like that in places in New York, like, like New York all the time. And again, the argument being is that people say, well, yeah, because they wanted it to look like it wasn't. But it's like, your argument is that it looks like a controlled demolition. So you can't say and then, it looks like a controlled demolition. Oh, but everything but, around but it doesn't look like a controlled isn't, demolition. But what you're seeing isn't a building that's accordioning in, right. into itself. It's not folding up. The reason for that, what it's doing is pancaking. Yeah. It's going down. It starts slow. One floor hits the next, hits the next, exceeds the load of that one. And then gains momentum as it goes. That's right. what you would get if one one floor was weakened enough to the point oh, after burning for an hour that it could not any longer support the floors above it. Yeah. It'll pancake one into the next and then into the next and then into the next and down, down, down. And it'll go faster and faster and it'll gain momentum, which is why the concrete was pulverized to the point that it was. If you were going to blow it, there would be less pulverization. Than what than what happened because of the because of how it all pancaked together and the way the way the dust cloud blew out of there it definitely shows that that was a, a gravity induced collapse. All right, I'm looking this up right now and and yeah, the planes were the planes that hit uh, the the towers were going in excess of 500 miles per hour when they hit. Um, and that again, that just the speed alone, and and again, it's it's just like, yeah, the speed alone and what that would do to the entire structure, uh, to its foundation, would be absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, I'm trying to see here. Yeah, so the first first plane was going roughly uh, 494 miles per hour. And the second was at 586 miles per hour. Yeah. <clears throat> and again, that's that's a <clears throat> that's an approximation of, of that. Obviously, they don't know exactly, but uh, you know, places like MIT doing doing the uh, the analytics and looking at video and all that. Uh, looking at in, looking in at their what research the, what the on, on this uh, Northwestern University said the air ejected from the building by gravitational collapse must have attained near the ground the speed of almost 500 miles per hour on the average and fluctuations that must have reached the speed of sound this explains the loud booms and wide and widespreading of pulverized concrete and other fragments and shows that the lower margin of the dust cloud could not have coincided with the crushing front the resisting upward forces due to pulverization and ejection of air, dust, and solid fragments neglected in previous studies are found to be indeed negligible during the first few seconds of the collapse, but not insignificant near the end of the crushdown. Basically, describing what people are saying about the explosions at the bottom, yeah. the amount of air that's coming out of there sometimes exceeded the speed of sound as yeah. it rushed out. Right. That's giving you secondary explosions right. as it's falling. Right. Yeah, but it, it's one of the things that's inter interesting to me. I remember the the very first thing that I ever really saw of of hardcore nine eleven conspiracy theory was the loose change video, and I yeah. think probably everybody has seen that. One of the things that's interesting to me though is that there have been multiple iterations of the loose change video. They have done a ton of editing. They've done updates, and I think they've essentially stopped doing them now. But I think I read once that they they've done up to like eighteen edits. Um, and the problem I have with that is not the, obviously you if you get better information, you want to modify what you're saying according to that information. Great, don't have a problem with that. The problem that I have is that they would take a a central premise that they had because one of the things they talk about is like, oh, you can see these explosions happening, you know, as the towers collapsing on floors below. <clears throat> well, when it came out that yeah, that was the air compressing and blowing out, you know, through elevator shafts and through different things, they they changed that, they edited that out because yeah. oh well, that doesn't serve our purpose, so we're going to remove that as a factor now, even though that was one of their main arguments. And that's my thing is like. You can't with it with a when you're when you're putting forward an idea and when your main 
argument or your main proof is disproven, you can't just edit over it and say, okay, fine, we'll find another aspect. You need to say, okay, maybe my theory is flawed because this this is a plausible exp- explanation. And 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 to some people who say it didn't get hot enough to melt the steel, in this study they're saying, but are high steel temperatures really necessary to explain collapse? Yeah. Not really. The initial speculation that very high temperatures were necessary to explain the collapse must now be revised since tests revealed a strong temperature effect on the yield of strength of the steel used. Um, it's saying that at temperatures of 150 degrees Celsius, 250 degrees, and 350, which is low for yeah. a fire. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking, they were saying you'd have to get upwards of 600 degrees Celsius, but even at low temperatures, 150, 250, 350, the yield strength of the steel used in the fire stories decreased in their models by 12%, 19%, and 25% respectively, even at 350 yeah. degrees and below. These reductions apply to normal durations of lab test strengths up to several minutes. Since the thermally activated decrease of yield stress is a time-dependent process, the yield strength decrease must have been even greater for the heating durations in the towers, which were the order of one hour. Right. So you're doing a test, and you've decreased at 350 degrees. You've decreased the strength of that steel by 25% after several minutes. Yeah. So, so now if you can, if it's supposed to hold, you know, if, if, if you're reducing over time, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse the longer it burns. And I would also say the hotter it gets right? because 350 degrees is fairly low degrees Celsius is fairly low for a fire of that magnitude that you're seeing there. So it's not implausible to say that that steel almost completely lost its strength. Right. And and the the buckling was indeed happening in the middle of the fire. And right. after an hour, it had held up way past where it should have. Yeah. And now it's given out enough to allow one floor to collapse. Right. And that will cause a chain reaction. Right. Um, World Trade Center 7, one of the things that I saw while I was watching the video, there are other buildings around there that are heavily damaged by falling debris, Mm -hmm. by other things that have happened. One thing that was present on World Trade Center 7 that was not present on other buildings of that size was a raging fire. Yeah. Again, people don't point to that. They don't they don't show it a lot, but there is a major fire going on in World Trade Center 7 and the first thing to collapse on it is the roof. Yeah. And the roof falls down right into the middle of the structure. Mm-hmm. And I I don't I don't quite understand how people don't see that as the same thing again. You're talking about a very very large structure with a very very large fire. It's not built to have the fire all the way across right. the entire floor for several floors right. and to be allowed to rage for an hour. That's the whole point of a response team yeah. is to be able to to respond to what are we going to have in here? A fire by maybe a bomb that's going to take out a corner of the building and we should be able to put it out within an hour. That will be fine. Not entire floors engulfed in flames and flames shooting out the side of the building and right. all that. Right, it right. Just, and, and, and going back to the, to the failure, you know, the building failure, the structural failure is you don't have to have everything suddenly become molten. Like you're, you know, like you're pointing out, it just has to, yeah. it just has to weaken enough to fail. And not only that, the movement and tweaking and all the things that happened in the tower and were continuing to happen in the tower after it was hit, it was made to take a static load. It was not yeah. made to to be in motion. I mean, there was supposed to be obviously some give with wind and different things. Those things were taken into account. But again, just the motion. I remember hearing somebody talk about it who was in the building when it was hit. And they said it. the building felt like it was just going to tip over because you just felt the whole thing shift. And lean. From the force, and then kind of and sway, and then right itself again. Well, again, these are buildings that were built in the seventies, and that kind of even the even the stress of of that impact, fire aside, probably would have eventually caused catastrophic failure. Yeah, of some had, kind of that building. They would have had to bring those towers down one way or the other if the fire had been able to be put out. Yeah. But the other thing that that I think is so funny is that again people will say, well, with these heats, you know, 
you know, why was there molten steel in it? Well, once it collapsed, it essentially created a, a forge or a kiln because you'd have all this material that was piled on that would seal and then basically it would it would have focused areas where oxygen was getting it was literally acting like what you would do with a forge you know to make a sword or, oh, to, it was or smoking to cast for metal days after. yeah and so months actually it was burning yeah. afterwards and so you were getting that effect in pockets where it was just it was creating this thing where yeah the the steel's going to melt and some of the melting that you see live where there is molten stuff rolling out yeah uh, aircraft aluminum melts yeah. really really well right and i'm sure it the there's a significant amount of that in there. Yeah, and not to mention what you know the other things in the building were made yeah. out of. I mean, uh, it was just office desks. Yeah, and how again, much there stuff were... is made out of aluminum. What right. you, what were the ceiling trusses made out of? Right. I don't know. I mean, your your drop ceilings have like what asbestos and and uh, <laughs> like some sort of aluminum structure. I mean, there's aluminum all through that building somewhere that could be melting and and falling down. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I love, and it was so easy to debunk, I was watching uh, something where they were talking about the Pentagon and how the light posts that were oh, yeah. that were flown over, and, and they're like, why did they break off at the bottom? These things broke off, and they fell over like they were expecting this to happen, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's called the breakaway light <laughs> pole, and you can go and look at the technology of these. And yes, they were designed to break off. Right. They they were, because <laughs> that's what they were supposed to do Right. if they were hit by a large force. I mean, I don't know why they're designed to break off. I know, but they, they were installed that way, and they were yeah. designed to do that. Yeah. And, and many of the other light posts in the area were exactly the same way. Yeah. But, and the shape of the whole... That's what you always hear, and and that kills me every time because if you've worked on an airplane, you know how airplanes would react in a crash like that. Right. There's one part of the airplane that's really, really solid. Well, three parts on that airplane. The fuselage, where everybody sits, is very structural and very solid, and the engines, yeah. very solid pieces of metal. Everything else is easy to go away if you run it into a building i don't expect to find much yeah left of much, a wing yeah that looks of a like tail anything. of a control well, surface i certainly don't expect it to go through concrete in the shape of a plane right i would expect a lot of that to just right disappear except well, for the engines i expect them to go through right. things well and not, i expect the fuselage to go through right. something well and even with the fuselage not to mention the explosive decompression of suddenly rupturing and, and everything that happens with that. Yeah. But but the interesting thing to me with that is too is that, you know, and they point to that with Pennsylvania. Well well where was the plane? Why didn't we see the plane? What they what people don't account for is most plane crashes you see are somebody actively trying to land a plane. Yeah. And keep it keep it, you know, in in its proper, you know, approach and all these things. These were not the case for that. They were trying to nose them in. And, and, and in the case of, um, I don't remember, was it Flight 93 that went down in Pennsylvania? It literally went nose down into the ground. Like it because was not, you had civilians trying to bring it into the yeah, ground. Who, who, yeah, yeah. And so, so the, the circumstances are different than most plane crashes you see because they are, they're actively trying to save something. So you'll get more pieces and parts because you're, you're not having a direct impact. You're having a more of a sliding impact or a skipping kind of impact. Whereas this was just a direct like bury it, you know, kind of, kind of deal. Um, and again, so those things, they just, they don't hold up if you apply a little bit of logic to, to it. And the Pentagon, the reason that thing hit the yard, it's hard to aim a 747. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is hard to fly that thing. They, they did train for it, but the Pentagon is only several stories high. Yeah. And if you miss it and you fly over it somehow, you've shot the whole thing. Like, that's the whole point. So they kind of hit the yard in front of it because they weren't, they weren't, it was almost like they hit the yard and bounced into it yeah. almost like it was close to that type of thing happening because the terrorist, you know, missed his shot by a little bit. Right. That's basically what happened. Yeah. And, and yeah, 
it's a, it's a small target. If you see some of these things from the air, like you can barely pick out the Washington Monument yeah. from the air. It looks huge from the ground. You try finding it flying over yeah. Washington, it's on, it, unless you know what you're looking for and you've yeah. studied this. You have, I, that, that was, that was actually, always my thing is how did they find, yeah. like you turn that thing around in like Ohio or Pennsylvania or somewhere. I forget where they turned the one around to go hit the Pentagon, but... How do you find it? Like, yeah. that's incredibly difficult. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, uh, there's actually a, a Seth MacFarlane joke about that, uh, about how there was an, uh, it was one of the cutaways in one of his, one of his cartoon shows. I don't remember if it was American Dad or Family Guy, one of those, but where he talked about, uh, the, the, the terrorist attempt on St. Louis and they're trying to hit the arch and they, and they literally like thread the needle and go right in, in between it. And then you hear this guy go, we missed. And then that comes around, does it again. We missed again. <laughs> and I don't know why, but it just made me think of that. Like the difficulty of hitting that tool in the St. Louis arch is like 17. Right. People. Right. Right. As well. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the, again my my problem with most conspiracy th- conspiracy theories relating to how the towers came down is that there's not a lot of depth of thought put into them or depth of research. It's it's a this is what my my brain automatically registers when I first see it, and so I'm going to run with that assumption, and 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 go with that. Yeah. Um, again, I think there's a lot there's much greater depth in terms of um some of the the more like shadowy government aspects of it in terms of the thinking uh, again i don't <laughs> my my the deepest i go into conspiracy theories i believe that the saudi government had a great deal of uh involvement in what went on there but sure. because of the geopolitical issues of invading saudi arabia we just buried that because we didn't want the american people calling for war against the Saudis because it just would have been a easy. I think it's fairly easy to see the Saudi link when you get into Osama bin Laden and where he came from and and who was funding what and, and all of that. And I, I mean, even Osama bin Laden was surprised that the towers came down right from what's been reported right of him at the time. Like he, he was, he was surprised at the quote unquote success of his operation. But What's what's crazy is the response of people on the ground. It was it like watching some of those videotapes live. People right away knew that it was a terrorist attack. Yeah, and they're and they were spitting mad, and there are still New Yorkers to this day that are not going to let it go. And I don't blame them one bit. Yeah, because. They, we were hit on our own soil, and everybody at that moment knew who hit us. Yeah. Not specifically, but had a pretty good idea what right. was going on. Right. And and yeah, I mean, people after the fact have the privilege of coming up with theories and thoughts and everything else, but it was very clear yeah. to everyone who was involved that day what was going on. Yeah. And and as soon as the names came out of who was on the planes and all of that. Here's the other problem that a lot of conspiracy theories with 9-11 have is where are the people on the planes then? Right. Did they go down with the planes? And some of these theories have to account for like spiriting these people away to unknown locations and right. all of that. Right. Like, and, and again, the, the, and I go to the same thing that I take issue with, with like the moon, the moon landing conspiracy. Oh, that'd be a fun one. Oh, I, I plan on doing some of that one. But you don't have this amount of people, the amount of people it would take to pull something like this off. And you don't have at least one one thing come out about it. I remember that was one of the things that uh, Lee, Lee Strobel in his, uh, in his uh, The Case for Christ, um, he was talking to somebody who... Uh, was 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 just talking about the 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 realities that nobody who uh, espoused the fact that Jesus was has resur- had resurrected ever recanted it in yeah. the moment like they all went to their death believing it and they faced death like yeah and he spoke either to, you say Jesus didn't rise yeah. or you die yeah and they all died for it and and one of the people he was talking to was a uh, oh who was the guy who was part of the part of the uh, the the whole Watergate scandal. Uh, oh, he was, Chuck Colson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking to Chuck Colson as part of this, and he told him. He said, "That's what proved to me that that uh, 
that Christ had the, the the resurrection of Christ had some validity. He said because I was part of a, something that had far fewer people that were involved in it, and as soon as the heat turned on, people started dropping left and right, and and, yeah. and telling the truth, and 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 turning on each other. And he said nobody did that here. Same thing with nine eleven, like. There would be there would be people who were coming out saying yes, this is what actually happened. Yes, because you just can't you can't keep something Nobody like that under wraps. Nobody believed in Bush enough to protect him if this yeah. really went yeah. that high. Well, and Nobody believed. It. Look at how many people turned on Rumsfeld just over Abu Ghraib or right, whatever. Like right. it took one little incident in Iraq, and all of a sudden people are turning on him. Right, but somehow pulled off nine eleven. Right, like. And that's the other With thing no too. With no one turning on right. him. And that's the other thing too. Like, the Bush administration had not even been in power for a year when was, this happened. It was in, they were in their infancy. Yeah, like, yeah. And it there and it was redefined a whole bunch of people it, that hadn't been confirmed. Yeah, different it totally redefined what his presidency ended up being. Um, it it was it was just yeah yeah. So that's one thing I've always kind of rolled my eyes at. And that's the thing that was interesting too is the last time I watched. A, a version of the Loose Change documentary was going into the uh, the 2004 uh, election. Yeah. So it would have been uh, Bush and Kerry. And at the end of this, the narrator gives a political push about getting those out of power who committed this atrocity. And and it was a it was basically a long a long form campaign video for Kerry. Yeah. And I'm like. I'm done with you. Like I'm done watching this because you have just entirely corrupted any reasoning you have you have behind this and made it entirely political, and 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 that was just gross to me and bothered the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, and and again that that loses that loses me a great deal whenever somebody reduces something like that to pure politics. And people ask why didn't Bush leave? He was in Florida at a school reading some books to a kid when somebody came to him and told him what had happened. Yeah. And they're like, why didn't he jump up immediately and go and do something about it right away, you know, and all that? Why did he stay with the kids? And he said, the last thing I wanted to do was send alarm bells off to all the kids in that school that things are not okay. Right. And and all of that. He's like, I and I, I don't I hope I'm getting this right, but basically he was like, I wanted to maintain I wanted to finish what I was doing there with those kids and then go and attend to this in full presence of mind because it does no good for me to panic and right. run into making decisions right. about all of this in a panic. Well, and again, and, had... and I'm like, that is wisdom. That is exactly what you would want to do. He's about to wrap up. You want him to maintain for the people a positive, affirming, right. steady hand. You don't want somebody... That's going to jump and throw the book and be like, I've got to go. There's a national emergency. Yeah. Like if that really happened, I would question his ability to make a good decision. Right. Right. You know? Well, and again, not even to mention the fact he was just in the informational stage at that point. Yeah. Like we're bringing you information. Yeah. We've got more coming. There there was a plane flew into World Trade Center. What do you, what do you know? Was it a Cessna? Was yeah. It, I mean, he's yeah. not going to ask them all that question yeah. at the moment. Yeah. I'll never forget that though, because that was the first thing that was coming out was that it was they think it was a small plane, and I remember that first yeah, first scene. That's that what thing, I, I heard. Was like, that was the first thing that I heard. I was like, was that, that was, was not a, a small plane. Like you could just see it in the in that gash that was in the side of the building. And but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy yeah, that, theories that I despise. It, I, I I agree with you. Nine eleven drives me crazy again because I. I love. I, I mean, I love a good conspiracy theory. I find them tremendously entertaining. I find the loops and 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 twists that people create to make them work incredible. I think they are a credit to the ingenuity of the human imagination. Yeah. But but with something like this and how it's been politicized and how it's been used as a stick to beat various political people, parties, movements, whatever, with is just really gross. I yep. find it really, really disgusting, and the cheapening of what actually happened, and reducing and, it to, yeah, reducing it to that. I just and I've, this I find isn't going to be the podcast where we go in and take down every form of every argument surrounding nine no. eleven. It would take no. way too much time, and yeah. and people and we have enjoy done our far, lives too much to better research doing that than than I'm going to do. <laughs> I will just say that I personally enjoy debating people on 
those different conspiracy theories. Yeah. I enjoy it because for nothing else, I I want to maintain the dignity of the people that died. Yeah. And and they did. They died on the front lines of a war against the United States. And to say that they were killed by friendly fire changes the entire narrative. Right. And I don't know. I, to me, it, it kind of belittles the whole thing and, and makes it worse, makes it something gross, makes it something ugly mm-hmm. for no other good reason than starting a war in Afghanistan. If there's anything America wanted to avoid, it was a war in Afghanistan. Afghanistan has been the worst place to fight wars in the last 150 yeah. years. I mean, and look at Russia. Every, look at how successful they were doing Everyone that. knows it. Everyone yeah. knows that's not where you want to fight a war if unless you have to. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like Iraq, looking back on, is kind of a distraction, and we got off kilter on the wrong well, foot there. But, but I can even get into things with that, with the whole, oh, there were no WMDs. It's like... No, we just didn't find them. And there were, and a lot of them left the country ahead of time because there was a lot of warning given. Yes, because we're stupid. There are eyewitnesses that claim to have seen the weapons of mass destruction in places like Eastern Africa, Central Africa, places yeah. like that where they were well, moved to. And not, not but, to mention that, but I mean, you're obviously you're surrounded by nations who have sympathy for you and will... Will allow you to gladly take gladly your take your weapon. gladly take your stuff, but also where did the guy in Syria get all his stuff? I know, right? Where'd <laughs> that come from? Hmm. But but that's the other thing too is that the real problem with that is that the WMDs were not found according to the timeline that the press wanted them found. Yeah, they were. There were WMDs that were found in Iraq or having been from Iraq after the after the fact. But nobody reported on that because the timeline didn't work out. They wanted to march into Baghdad, find them sitting inside Saddam Hussein's bathroom, and then say, "Yep, here they are." Now the there we go. That, in his yeah, bedroom. yeah, yeah. And 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 that wasn't what was going to happen. You know, when you're covering for you know what was it a week? This whole convoy heading towards towards Baghdad. It's like, hey, they know we're coming. They're just gonna move crap. That's what you do. You hide things when you know it's coming. And uh, and yeah, so that whole even that whole narrative just annoys the crap out of me, and it doesn't it doesn't hold up to actual scrutiny at all. Yeah. Do I think we should have ended up in Iraq? No, no, I don't think we should. Probably for a different podcast. But but there is one politician that opposed the Iraq War from the start, even though Hillary Clinton was for it, and members of both parties were for it and voted for it. Had no problem with us going, followed the intelligence that we were given by ourselves and by the British and other people. Was one politician that took quite a bit of heat, Donald Trump. (laughs) Well, he wasn't a politician at the time. He wasn't, but he wasn't for it. No, no, he wasn't. Because he was a New Yorker, (laughs) and he knew where the fight should have been taken to. (laughs) You know, it is is interesting, because one of the things I I did see unrelated to that well, except related to 9-11, was that the majority of 9-11 conspiracy theories specifically surrounding the United States government doing it came from Europe. Huh. There, there, were, there were German and, uh, and French uh, uh, journalists and, and, well, if you can call them journalists, uh, that were writing about this possibility of this being a thing. And, and the majority of what we, what we now look at and the questions we now ask have come from those publications and they're going mostly off of what they saw, not what they experienced. Right, right. So, so it's an it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing. I was never aware of that, and I'm actually going to delve into that a little more because I I barely scratched the surface of it in terms of discovery. Yeah. So I'll be I'll be interested to see uh, where that rabbit hole leads for sure. Yeah. So send us our thoughts. Uh, send us your thoughts on 9/11, and, and we if already you feel have like we already have our we own have thoughts. our own thoughts. We don't need them. Send us our thoughts. <laughs> That's like how people send their thoughts and prayers. Oh. First of all, my prayers go to Jesus alone. Yes. yes. And I, I can pray for you, but I, I don't can, send my prayers. And I can't send my thoughts anywhere. to you either. I also cannot send my thoughts. No matter no. how hard I try. You can be in my thoughts. Yes. In other words, anyway, just yes. type us your thoughts. Yes. Yeah. In any form in which you can. Yeah. If you want to debate us or get angry with us or agree with us, we yeah. don't care. That'd be great. Um, so interact with us some way about this episode. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. 
Uh, Instagram is TTWS Podcast, same as our Twitter. And Facebook is at the Things We Say Podcast. Yeah. Um, so come and give us a shout uh, and uh, continue to rate us on any platform on which you're currently listening yeah. Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, iTunes, Google yep. uh, Play, Music, whatever that garbage is. Yeah, they all have yeah. rating systems. So. And tell, tell your friends and enemies yeah. the things we've, we say. We've recently had some people <laughs> throw us up in their own Instagram posts, which is kind of cool, and let other people know that you're listening to the show. and. We, we appreciate that a lot. So Yeah. And really, that's the thing that's going to allow us to expand the platform, going to expand what we do. I mean, we have other dreams and desires for what we're doing and how we're doing it and the format. Sure. So, uh, yeah, throw it out there. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week, I guess. This is it. And uh, have a good one. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.